1: For many years, youth culture creation has been the forerunner in Western civilization engineering. The younger generation of any given time represents the influential group of the future. Therefore, these generations of youth, in order to ensure civilization follows the intended direction, must be and always have been conditioned and inculcated via culture, mainly pop culture, education, media-birthed fanfare, and food for identity. The idea of finding oneself, for example is many times accomplished through pop culture, media and establishment-generated culture, a concept we call culture creation, administered by examples like the entertainment industry via secret intelligence, with its roots and foundation in weaponized anthropology, brought to us by examples like Margaret Mead and Gregory Bateson, with its roots in further back ideologues like Wilhelm Reich, uh, Charles Darwin, and Social Darwinism to Gnosticism and alchemy, and, well, you can see the development of it all over time. From Nimrod to Simon Magus, John Dee, Sabati Zevi, Darwin, Crowley, Freud, Renes, Huxley, Kinsey, to modern wizards like Moonviz or uh, Robert W. Pittman. We'll get to Pittman in a moment, but from Gnostic alchemy and Kabbalah to secular humanism and behaviorist scientism to, well, modern cable television all these ideas and doctrines consolidated into a culture that fits perfectly into a little box for humans to sit in front of and learn from for hours a day youth culture creation via the television and mass media got its official start in the 50s of course following its predecessor the radio the technology of using radio waves to carry information or sound modulated properties of electromagnetic energy through space or as occultist Thomas Edison coined it, etheric force. Radio, as most if not all forms of technology, was first perfected within the military for alleged communication during World War I. Though it appears, and more importantly, radio was to be developed into a home appliance, a new opportunity to tap millions at once, the first social program of the state. Radio broadcasting, casting spells and creating culture, shaping perspective or forming reality in all living rooms across the nation similar to how the television would follow suit and then the personal computer and now the handheld mobile smartphone one of the first uses of radio was social engineering from the beginning with Franklin D Roosevelt radio was used to sell FDR's new socialist regime called the New Deal of the 30s at once millions were reached with one message mass acceptance and a joyous reception via the newness of American technology. and the relaxed state of comfort in one's own home, huddled up with family members, enthralled by the voice peering from a box, the New Deal was a welfare state prelude program that was sold to America single-handedly by the radio broadcasting system. A great source for a look at radio propaganda of this time is the, uh, the book Psychology of Radio by Cantrell and Alport. Cantrell quotes, By its very nature, radio was a powerful agent of democracy because it penetrated all levels of social, political, and economic barriers. Radio has the potential to be the biggest factor in shaping social solidarity. Well, today, we would call this social engineering, or state-designed mind control, and this is exactly what it was from the beginning. But, of course, and as always, it is disguised in the veil of entertainment. For example, the black community targeting show Amos and Andy was utilized specifically to run systematic FDR New Deal propaganda spots throughout each airing. And we all understand this was a a blackface type of show for the black community yet they were actually white men playing the roles, playing the characters. Uh, This ensured black support and offered the uh, population a false sense of security, identity and importance early on in the 20s under uh, National Broadcasting Corporation or NBC and of course uh, Columbia Broadcasting System or CBS, uh, programmers and government bodies began to realize that radio had the power to control the actions of man and would gain the trust of the audience that was listening. Immediately, radio programming utilized Bernaysian techniques and aired agents of influence as alleged experts to influence the audience by appealing to authority. Here, radio personalities were created and became not only agents of influence, but trusted sources of information that millions would grow to depend on for their perception of what is happening in the world around them. Dialogue could save the world, said Lewis Hill in 1942, a CLU member and leftist propaganda artist, also founder of the uh, pioneering progressive radio station KPFA in Pacifica, California. In 1951, KPFA receives the first major grant for the support of a non-commercial broadcast operation by, of course, the Ford Foundation. KPFA would go on to be a widely respected and trusted so-called independent radio source. Yet from its start, it has been a controlled opposition propaganda outlet funded by major establishment foundations, mainly Ford and Carnegie as well. Why KPFA? Why Pacifica? Well, this was the early 1950s, less than 20 miles from San Francisco. And what better way to prime a mass group for a new left counterculture movement that is only a decade away? Radio broadcasting. Who do you think sold the world the Grateful Dead, the hippie and New Age movements, the anti-war socialist brigades, uh, the degenerate beat generation, free love and secular humanism? None other than KPFA. Let's just say they were at the front lines of these movements. The counterculture and the new left had a permanent home at KPFA, and still do. A Herculean bullhorn to shout their rhetoric and mantras to the masses. And yes, Ford Foundation, with the assistance of the OSS, CIA, would go on to fund other social operations like PBS, Public Broadcasting Service, um, the RAND Corporation, the Aspen Institute, and as well, Bilderberg. Ford also funded Margaret Mead's work and the development of Tavistock Institute. We will show why these two projects are so important later, but for now, we will focus on the radio. Oh, and let us not forget the beloved and alleged independent radio station NPR, National Public Radio. Yeah, Ford funded as well. Radio would be used to not only shape public perspective, identity, and uh, political theory, but to create mass gatherings and revolutionary protest. Similar to how its offspring, the internet, namely a uh, social media, is producing the same things today and being used for the same ends and agendas. Then just like the internet today, radio transformed a generation practically overnight. From audio waves to mass public action. But how did they know how to do this? They used music, certain bands and their attitudes, uh, movies and advertisements, uh, the cult of personality, and the manipulation of sound waves to literally transform society. How did they know how to use radio to accomplish all of this? Well, aside from the Kabbalist occult or spiritual aspects of radio that we find in Thomas Edison, we find the scientific answer for this in 1939 at the Princeton University under the auspices of figures like Hadley Cantrell, uh, Paul Lazerfeld, and uh, John Marshall. school elite and OSS agent himself Theodore Dono the Princeton research radio project set the stage for sound and media social engineering the Princeton research radio project studied the social psychological effects of messages in radio and its mass programming capabilities or potential especially the 1938 War of the Worlds Halloween airing where Orson Welles aired a uh, false flag type of story over the radio uh, sold as being real, but in fact it, it was a fake story. This, this would be a, a very early example of your first fake news. And it was done on purpose and studied at Princeton to see how a crowd reacts to um, dangerous or alarming information. though the Princeton radio project had hundreds of uh, sub-projects, it presented the foundation for all similar studies to follow, like the monumental Macy's Conferences of the 50s for example, where cybernetics was started, and especially all the MK Ultra projects. Princeton stood as a key starting point. Adorno and scientists wanted to know how human behavior correlates with music, the audio control of human emotions to find effective crowd control techniques audio that would or could induce mass hysteria, and overall, the creation of manageable subcultures via music and sound, melodic and rhythmic organization, establishing radio and television as a meta-analysis of mass subjectivity. The Princeton Radio Project also studied the dynamics of music, sound, and light, and the electronic development of bioenergetic psychoacoustics, coined by Jack Lacan. These studies would later bring us light shows and sound shows we saw in the psychedelic era, in raves and uh, music festivals, and in clubs and casinos. The radio to television, uh, the psychedelic to discotheques, and rave electronica, decade to decade. All these eras find their psychobiological and technological foundations in the Rockefeller family-funded Princeton Research Radio Project of 1939. And several years after this project, it is no surprise that radio broadcasting services began to encapsulate America like never before, much stronger than its infantile days during FDR and the New Deal, and much more effective by now utilizing music and the culture that came with it to shape the society that consumes it. With the 50s in full swing, so was the growth in production and use of the television. At this time, NBC, ABC, and CBS all were transitioning their primetime radio programming to the new medium. And it is here where monumental culture change began to take place. Though television was marked to change culture, it would also create subcultures and cultural dialectics between them. Probably the most vital subculture created during this time was the media creation of the teenager. A new target population, and control group to shape indoctrinate and sell a new identity this was accomplished nearly single-handedly through Hollywood celebritism and namely james dean or um, elvis
0: it's shocking i watched him gyrate his legs and swivel his hips and our parent teachers group feels he should not be on television
1: and the new teen film propaganda campaign that was unleashed on the american public via cinema and television and of course music and to add to identity things like blue jeans and the automobile were included to round out the parameters of this new hip and rebellious youth or better teen culture not only could they sell this group products but moreover they could sell them ideas a lifestyle and in result manufacture identity and change a generation and the future forever. This new rebellious teen culture would pave the way for the beatniks and hipsters, or the counterculture of the 60s, and the new wave culture clubs of the 80s. During the infancy of television programming, Hollywood celebritism, and major media networks in general, the 1950s was an era where science, alchemy, and global government proponents were not only entertaining Americans, they were actually structuring state-of-the-art mind control behind the scenes. Uh, the Macy Conferences officially brought physical scientists and behaviorists and psychiatrists together at the same table to study the dynamics between human behavior and machines and the effects of technology on the humankind. Moreover, what types of technology and which types of techniques would be required to predict, explain, and control the behavior of humans? It is no coincidence that immediately as these conferences ended, music industries, Hollywood productions, and television programming blossomed nationwide. At this time, Stanford Research Institute was building Disneyland in Anaheim. Hugh Hefner was debuting Playboy magazine and Alan Dulles was beginning the MK Ultra projects. And of course, Frankfurt School's Theodore Adorno just published his Authoritarian Personality piece, formulated and released on the UC Berkeley campus, which of course spread like wildfire across all universities. National mind control was now at its peak growth period. Media, science, technology, education, all angles were being covered with Ford, Rockefeller, Carnegie and Mellon foundations fronting the bill while the OSS, CIA, American Jewish Committee, CFR, amongst many other think tanks, put all the pieces in their proper places. But in order for Adorno and Orkenheimer of the Frankfurt School to bring in their new age left, or Margaret Mead and her Wilhelm Reich-inspired license to be a pervert, or free love culture fantasy to become a reality, American culture had to be destabilized. Christianity moral codes had to be severely undermined. And by 1950, this was officially kick-started by the media-manufactured teenager subculture. In 1944, the manufacturing began with always the media-conditioning propaganda of Skull and Bones publication, the Time Life magazine franchise. The hit story on the new rave of American teen girl life took center stage, opening the door for Seventeen magazine that same year. And the new concept of the teeny Bopper youth consumer culture, rebellious film and music, serial dating and premarital sex in automobiles. Time, Life magazines, uh, amongst other mainstream publications, have always played major roles in the formation of culture, specifically the directing of culture and engineering of subcultures. Of course, the uh, bebop and swinger scenes catapulted this new teen craze, the uh, hypnotic dance and trends of dress, the identifying music and intimate lyrical content, and romantic song concepts, um, leather jackets and uh, tucked cigarettes and t-shirt sleeves, saddle shoes and bobby socks, poodle skirts and jukeboxes. All these things were not only fresh and exciting, even attractive, but in many ways were commonly forbidden. But through the allegiance of radio, television, and music, the state and its trained social engineers were determined to normalize these new and provocative concepts. Now I know, uh, to us today, these concepts appear rather innocent, yet it's important to understand they were mere entry-level ideals, set to be tweaked and polluted over the decades to come. See, this had to be done in increments, perverted over time, to eventually bring in the new dark age the postmodern modern techno-cult and Aeon of Horus, New Babylonia. So to begin this complex process, radio had to be perfected in the Princeton radio projects. Society and its in-group behaviors had to be understood, predictable, manageable, to ultimately structure the post-World War II social hive mind. Once the state earned the trust and control via radio broadcasting of the public, The culture had to then be disjointed and splintered into subgroups, mainly parent versus child. This was accomplished through the creation of the teen, and with the addition of television, Hollywood, and a new booming music industry to radio, the generation gap and American culture war began, posing a formidable threat to its Christian moral fabric and social stability as an independent nation.
0: It's just a matter of putting first things first. If God is in charge of the universe, then doesn't it logically follow that we are responsible to him? And therefore, isn't it up to us to seek his will for our lives, to find out why we are really here on this earth, to discover how God wants us to use our talents, our abilities, and our energies? With all of the challenges facing us, isn't this the first and the greatest, to find ourselves and our destinies in God's plan?
1: directly from the mouth of the beast himself, the eater of souls, of children, of all things that are pure and good. Now whether one believes Crowley was a successful magician and sorcerer, or just some heroine addicted sex crazed pedophile that liked to play dress up, Alistair was a forerunner for the dark awakening of the 20th century, the new age that has been rapidly taking shape since around 1963. Surrounded by his mission to bring the Aeon of Horus, the crowned and conquering child, casting a spell of mass depravity and epidemic of fascination with children as sexual objects, and society in itself acting, feeling, and behaving as children. Impressionable, curious, yet vile, perverted, and demented. This spirit was unleashed in 1904 when Crowley received the Book of the Law in Cairo, Egypt. This spirit was aimed to bring on the age of Horace, a a new age, where will to power is the law, under love. And love means nothing more than desire. Limitless desire, that is. Uh, Disobedience rules the heart, and darkness carries its followers. Liberation through transgression. Freedom through lawlessness. Some would say Crowley had the biggest impact on contemporary culture. He did not start this dark spiritual movement, yet it was continued through him. As one of many children of Satan, he was a conduit, a vehicle for the new age and occult revival of the 20th century. As a seminal figure in the evolution of our debased popular culture, it is important that we evaluate where his marks were made and how they still seem to remain to this day, and have only intensified in their effect. Crowley helped evoke a massive wave of cultural transformation by use of three prime elements – sex, drugs, and art. I will be chronologically revealing how the Crowleyan philosophy has, behind the shadows, shaped and indoctrinated and manifested our socio-cultural fabric to present day. What do I mean by art? Or should we say, the arts, which are entertainment, poetry, literature, paintings, movies, and music. See, Crowley believed art is magic, and magic is art. He recognized it had the ability to induce direct change in the mind, influence material reality, and by use of performance art, as in plays or concerts, the magic of art could induce psychophysiological transformations in the event or ritual's participating audience. Very similar to the same conclusions and motives of the sorcerers behind the Princeton radio project we discussed in part one. Eventually, you will see how all these ideas tie in together. All the mediums intersect, and all the witches, scientists, and entertainers, and artists are in the same business, with the same goals, and under the same dictating force. Whether they realize it or not, the show must go on. Though Crowley is oft celebrated as a rebellious enemy of the status quo, he in fact was an heir to an aristocratic family. His parents were members of the Exclusive Brethren Order, a high-level sect of the Plymouth Brethren, an occult Quaker order of Gnostic Christians. He also attended the elite school Trinity College in Cambridge. Yes, the same school pioneering which John Dee attended. Crowley had very deep power elite ties and always worked for the engineers of society. As a deep agent of MI6 and confidant of Churchill and well-known statesman in many Masonic lodges, Crowley's ideas and presence left indentations throughout the earth, inspired many men in high places, and helped develop a dark awakening that would change the world for generations to come. What is important to understand here is not so much the abilities and actions of Crowley himself, but the value system that he advocated, the culture, the spirit, and worldview that he embodied. The same value system, that same spirit, has echoed throughout the decades. Though changing its tones here and changing its wardrobe and tempo there, it has always remained, lingered, uh, festered even. It has grown on the back of society like a wicked fungus as we now find ourselves dead center of a new age and aeon of Horus. But how did we get here? This brings us to about 1953 in our timeline. There are a few years as significant as this year, possibly 1963 and 69 are about even, but we will cover their significance later. And 1953 was sure to be a game-changing year and a birth of a new movement, new technology, and new influences on the culture that would systematically bring in the New Age and Aeon of Horus, what some may call the New Babylon or Age of Aquarius. I prefer to call it the post-reality era, but they all fit the same. Some may say, oh well, many things happen every year. Every year has its significant moments and events of change. Though this bears its obvious truths, not many years appear to have a patterned and purposeful intent like the happenings of 1953. Three important factors amongst others, though these appear to hold the most significance, which are first the American establishment of new socio psychological research of London's Tavistock Institute via Operation Paperclip. Second, success of the many Macy conferences on cybernetics and uh, mind science that followed, like MK Ultra. And third and most importantly, the creation of the Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA, in nineteen forty seven merely a converted organization of government psychologists, banking lawyers, and uh, military officials from the prior OSS, or Office of Strategic Services. These three developments would lead to mass organization of splinter cell operations that would all take place in 1953. These operations all focused on four specific areas, only by way of a deep studied and practiced knowledge in the occult, psychology, and anthropology, of course. These areas were human sexuality, mind-altering substances or drugs, and media, and its relationship with behavior, sex, drugs, media, and mind control. First, let's start with drugs. MKUltra had many sub-projects and operations, though one of its largest in scale was the Operation Native Revival. This operation was set to investigate the tribal and indigenous use of hallucinogenic substances across the world, as well as hallucinogenic substances created in labs and double-agent provocateurs or intelligent psychologists and anthropologists disguised as entertainment personalities and artists, writers, etc. were used to not only do the studies, but recruit the test subjects and promote their findings through the culture. In 1953, Gordon Wasson, the man who coined and popularized magic mushrooms, voyaged indigenous parts of Mexico to promote mushroom use and ancient beneficial properties of psilocybin under MKUltra Subproject 58 which was later promoted by the typical time Life magazine group in 1957. Also in 1953, beat generation writer William S. Burroughs, whom we will be diving into later, was magically making his way through Peru in search of ayahuasca, which would later become famous via the Yage papers in 68. Oh, and guess who mysteriously happened to try mescaline for the first time in 1953? An experience that would lead him to write the mind-shattering and culture-transforming book Doors of Perception, thanks to MKUltra proponent Dr. Osmond, the one and only Aldous Huxley. Oh, but it does not end there. To join in with this mega pantheon of agents of influence, we have none other than the aforementioned CIA technical services that approve use of LSD for MKUltra sub-projects across the United States. Mushrooms, ayahuasca, peyote, and LSD. Interesting that all of these soon-to-be-famous individuals just happened to be discovering the properties of these drugs in the same year and all just happen to be directly tied to secret intelligence cells within the CIA, or MI6. Just as the CIA begins its projects on the relationship between human behavior and mind-altering substances. 1953, exactly one decade before the psychedelic explosion hits the American youth culture. Interesting, no? Next is Human Sexuality. In 1953, the Kinsey Reports released the groundbreaking Sexual Behavior in Human Females, written by crowley and good friend of Kenneth Anger, Alfred Kinsey, changing our perception on sexuality for women forever. And included, the single most influential publication on the male libido in history is formed by trained psychologist and CIA operative Hugh Hefner, with the Playboy magazine. Ron Jeremy is also born this year, one of the most famous pornographic actors to date. These two would go on to form a wrecking ball in the American moral establishment, damage we are still sustaining today. And media? Well, Alan Watts, another key New Age figure we will be going into later, starts his mind-bending mystic philosophy program on the Infinite K P F A radio station in 1953, setting the tone and preparing the conditioning of a soon-to-come counterculture, New Age worldview. And possibly most grabbing is the introduction of the color television, right in time for the surge of Hollywood and entertainment that brews in the dark studios of Southern California and New York City. Should we also mention that the same year and oh so conveniently, Mega Food Corp Swanson released the American Staple Meal, the TV Dinner, opening up the new market of convenience food all to make your life easier and keep you in front of the television as much as possible even while you are eating taking the typical family away from the dinner table where bonding and values are experienced and learned, to be atomized into uh, separate units plugged into the show or news propaganda of the evening, which leads us directly to the concept of mind control. In 1953, Ron L. Hubbard, after splintering from Crowley's O.T.O., starts the infamous Church of Scientology, one of the largest and most successful science fiction cults to exist. At, and yes, the same time as the CIA sponsors the Robertson Panel to discuss the reality and possibilities of a UFO threat to national security. In 1953, the follow-up panel to the previous Air Force-sponsored UFO studies, uh, the Sign Program and the Grudge Program, under the Project Blue Book umbrella, setting off the early stages of mind control that would eventually lead to the socially accepted belief in outer worlds, galaxies, and foreign life forms, and ultimately, the great alien deception. So when we clearly see that the intelligence operations regarding drugs, sex, and aliens were being researched and developed pre-1960, even within the same single year, it does not make it difficult to understand the rampant evolution of these concepts found in society today and why those whom have little to no knowledge at all on this history would call you crazy or loony for questioning it. Drug use, pornography, science fiction, pop culture in general, all of these things have been strategically manufactured and utilized to influence that which makes you, you. This patterned history and across-the-board intelligence agency involvement and funding makes it even more obvious how all these things have and always have had to do with nothing but mind control, social engineering, spiritual possession, and cultural creation. But let's continue. Also beginning in 1953 is by far the most significant social movement in American history, one that would capitalize on the development of the rebellious and outcast jaded teenager. A movement that would bring all creeds and colors, kinks and quirks together into a humanist lust and spunk ball of pleasantly confused chaos. Postmodernist tough stuff bad girls and bad boys, rebels without a cause. Or was there a cause? Some would say freedom, some would say gay rights, some would say equal rights, some just wanted to get high and listen to bad music and blame all their woes and pros on the man.
0: for
1: their right to be heard like This movement of rejects and rebels were moreover addicts and narcissists plagued by idealism or the obsession with things being equal, with life being fair as if one is owed a fair and ideal experience on earth from birth. Similar to the Sjw movement we are witnessing today, The Beats suffered a pathologic angst that fed on their minds through their destructive and malignant culture. As a base philosophical worldview, they were a postmodern movement. They practiced and preached postmodernism. What's postmodernism? Well, it's essentially the perspective and value system of the liberal or libertarian new age. Uh, There is no objective truth. God is most likely an alien planet somewhere or a giant cube in outer space. And that's if God even exists. Uh, we'll have moral relativism, non-aggression theory, uh, sometimes a little scientism, sometimes a little pagan spirituality. Pretty much anything goes in postmodernism. Whatever floats your boat or sinks it is okay, and accepted, as long as it agrees with postmodernism. Um, you will find materialism, humanism, and mainly an utter disdain for anything Christian, anything with a strict order, categorization system, form rules, maturity, and objective moral law. Postmodernism aims to deconstruct thousands of years of a developed Western worldview. It is the acceptance of insanity as sanity. Beginning in uh, collectivism, unity, love, um, human rights, etc., and then ending in transhumanist technocracies and global police states. Recognizing that the most influential youth culture in Western history was founded in such a worldview instead of values makes it quite easy to see it blatantly dripping through our culture today and playing right into the hands of the mono state as the synthesis needed to manufacture the mono culture of one people no truth and surely no God no God of any authority at least in postmodernism the self is the authority which actually means the state is the authority since the state indirectly controls the self via mind control techniques and spiritual possession by way of ego manipulation hence the beat generation the first major movement of postmodernism that would shape the next six decades into the post reality era land of Caitlyn Jenner and Donald Trump what is important to recognize is the main headlining figures of the beat movement in its early days pre-1963 there were the headliners Allen Ginsberg jack kerouac and william s burroughs yes uh, thompson and cassidy are important as well but they will play into the story a bit later before we go into these dubious characters we must remember that they influenced millions over the years and still have a huge impact on culture to this day especially academically and in the university system when one mentions the idea of culture creators or agents of influence very few names match up to the prowess and hypnotic nature of ginsburg kerouac and burroughs What's also important to remember is what they shared in common, what fueled their engines and comprised their values. Things like drugs and addiction, depression, and even insanity. Both Burroughs and Ginsburg spent time in psych wards. In fact, Allen Ginsberg spent most of his adolescence visiting his mother in mental facilities, which she eventually ended up committing suicide in. Both Ginsberg and Burroughs were erratic homosexuals with a twisted and depraved sensibility that fell all throughout their writings. For instance, the piece that brought Ginsburg to fame in 1956 and blasted like a late-night marathon for months on the KPFA radio station was his piece Howl. Simply a homoerotic fit of a poem that would only come from a very dark and disturbed individual, yet it was praised, heavily promoted by establishment-funded liberal media outlets, and a new movement was formed. Or Burroughs' perverted, heroin addict bloodlust novel that made him famous called Naked Lunch. Burroughs was by far the most depraved and borderline psychotic out of the entire Beats movement. In fact, he shot and killed his own wife on accident when bats spit high on a drug cocktail and saw no jail time at all. Some documents say within his famous Yage papers, a book of letters he wrote to Allen Ginsberg in 1953, that he killed a man while on his Peru expedition looking for ayahuasca. Burroughs represented the repression of a sick civilization, a leader of an existential insanity that was being promoted at the time, and would continue to be promoted for the following generations. Yes, Burroughs was merely a bored and butthurt trust fund kid with deep-tied intelligence connections. Some believe he was sent to gather data on ayahuasca by CIA co-founder himself, Wild Bill Donovan the same wild bill that tapped Burroughs to join the OSS once graduating from, of course, Havistock academic facility, Harvard University. When one figures he became famous once he returned from Peru and helped spawn a massive drug culture that would develop to the end of the century, things seem to be all too clear. So where does Crowley fit into all of this, aside from the shared interests in heroin and gay intercourse? Well, it is known that Burroughs was an avid occultist, obsessed with magic, hermeticism and even Scientology burroughs was a witch in his own right a follower of the orgasm obsessed freudian psychologist wilhelm reich a scientologist and supporter of nambla north american man boy love association the same nambla that alan Ginsberg was a staunch advocate and registered member of so a big huge beautiful painting of a naked boy
0: sitting on a greek ordered couch uh with some like, a little flower pot. His legs spread, very nicely painted genitals, and a very handsome face, sort of like a Greek fawn or something like it, just really striking. And um, I said, who's that? And he said, "Oh, well, that's my friend Peter Orlovsky who lives here, and then Peter walked into the room, really
1: tore my heart out. Ginsburg was also a mystic of sorts, and also was heavily influenced by Wilhelm Reich. So influenced, he even wrote him a letter, directly when he was in college at the University of Columbia where the beat generation was formed until it moved to San Francisco and skyrocketed, mutated, and transformed into the counterculture in 1964. Ginsburg was a spiritual freak of nature, a beast-minded fiend that came across gentle, loving, and tolerant, inclusive. What ties Ginsburg into Crowley aside from his Crowleyan sidekick Burroughs was his connection with another seminal figure in the Crowleyan spiritual movement of the mid-20th century, and that was Harry Everett Smith. Smith also was a Beat Generation figurehead, and monumental influence on the counterculture that would come in the next several years. Smith was indeed simply an open Crowleyite, Uh, further he was in fact a member of the O.T.O., Bordo Templi Orientis, one of Crowley's brotherhoods. Harry Smith was a Kabbalist and Gnostic, in fact he utilized both to cast a spell on society when he ritually designed and released his anthology on American folk music said to have been the single album that jumpstarted the folk and blues music revival that would carry the 50s and play as the foundation of the psychedelic rock era. Ginsburg was a close friend of Smith. In fact, they both attempted to make the Pentagon levitate with an early punk band called The Fugs in an anti-establishment sacred ritual, though it appears they were unsuccessful. Harry Smith was raised by parents who were both in the Theosophical Society. His father was also a high-level mason. Obsessed with Enochian magic, we find Smith's connection to the work of John Dee, and his magical effect on society through his witchcraft-laden folk anthology album. I guess it wouldn't be a leap of the imagination to accept the idea that he was a huge influence on the career of Bob Dylan, one of the devil's very own and beloved workmen. Smith introduced Ginsburg to many dark aspects of the occult, and Ginsburg was receptive and giddy. He mixed these rituals with drugs, sex, and profanity that filled his poems. Ginsburg was a Boers Head Society member at the Columbia University under the Frankfurt School Liberal Arts Department tutelage. Columbia of New York was where the the Frankfurt School actually received its start in American education in the 1930s. Uh, Ginsburg and crew were the perfect twisted bunch to help indoctrinate the masses with their blind zeal, shared perversions and diluted perspectives and overall hatred for Christian morality. Postmodern communist sympathizing, alternative lifestyle vanguard was Allen Ginsberg. The Alister Crowley of academia, a witch in teacher's clothing.
0: Worked for a long while in marketing research, doing statistical work, determining what the uh, kind of minds you have.
1: Ginsberg and the Beats liked the drugs, and they despised reality. They were looking for something more, something deeper. So it is no surprise they were big fans of Aldous Huxley, who was enjoying his book *Doors of Perception* fame, and with assistance of Tavistock Institute of London and the Central Intelligence Agency, he developed a mind control program called the Human Potential Movement, which would be the ticket that brought the hippies, or at the time hipsters, together with the beats and along with all the other fringe New Age groups to create the counterculture. But Huxley needed a location, uh, an escape venue, a school even for this movement. So in 1962, the Esalen Institute was started, a spiritual resort facility constructed on an existential voyage into reality and postmodernism of French and German psychology, psychological theory, mixed with Eastern mysticism and the humanities. What bridged the gap was Michael Murphy of Stanford University and the Beat Generation celebrity Richard Price, who would be one of the first Beats to join the Institute, and along with him came Ginsberg and all the rest, together to form a new humanist liberation front based on love, insanity, uh, drugs, and promiscuity the Epistemology Center for the New Age and premier drug-based mind control project of the CIA under Operation MKUltra, and only the groovy, hip, and far-out were invited. Next, we step into the first blood of our domestic version of Project Phoenix, In 1963, Americans suffered from a mass psychological operation and death ritual that some call the killing of the king. President John F. Kennedy was assassinated and transformed the psyche of America instantly, and placed a dark spirit across its waters, city streets, and neighborhood homes. Was he actually murdered, or was he shipped to some secret elite island somewhere with the rest of the fake death brotherhood members? Well that's a debate that matters very little to the overall effect of this event. This ritual would seal the fate of a once somewhat united American society, one with potential, one with still a sense of balance, tradition, and cohesive moral standard. It was here where the social split began. The mental break of a nation happened that day in America, and it appears as though the entire event was set, designed, and carried out to produce this precise reaction. the clear representation of a mass trauma-based mind control technique, socio-psychological terrorism, Again, another Hegelian dialectic of problem, reaction, solution. Unleashed on society in time to offset any possibility of social balance, priming them for the new wave of enmity, incoherence, jive, and propaganda that would be smashing into their lives over the next several years. A battlefield of civil rights was taking its shape, the psychedelic era was on the horizon, and an entire society had been shaken and stirred right in time to embrace it. With a war overseas looming, vast MKUltra drug projects in their advanced states of research, moles, educators, celebs, and agents of influence in their proper places to administer indoctrination, America stood as a sitting duck in still waters, quietly before the storm. The storm begins in 1964, and the phasing out of American Christian morale takes its step forward. Though social unrest was growing in the South, setting precedent for the Black Power movement that would take shape in a couple years, on the West Coast something else was brewing under the auspices of Taffistock Institute and Stanford Research Institute, or SRI. The work of the recently passed Algis Huxley, who strangely died the same day as John F. Kennedy. Also, the Johnny Appleseed of acid Al Hubbard and anthropologist Gregory Bateson was in full swing. The Human Potential Movement, via Esalon Institute, promoted the doctrines of Gregory Bateson and Gordon Wasson's native revival projects and normalized hallucinogenic drugs and mood-enhancing substances to the beat generation and its followers. Beatniks, hippies, and rejects abroad were now a complete movement. The counterculture was born. After being recruited by Bateson, Stanford's Ken Kesey, writer of MKUltra Novel, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, was dosed with LSD in the famous Menlo Park Projects. Bateson would later recruit Allen Ginsberg to join. Kesey was sent out on a mass dosing social project with the Merry Pranksters, a covert psyop squad that would popularize the mind-deforming and spiritually possessing substance, LSD. Neil Cassidy, popular Beat Generation member, would become the driver of the Merry Prankster party bus, named further. Tying the Beat Generation right into the psychedelic era. From the Merry Pranksters would come the Grateful Dead another Tavistock-controlled PSYOP band that was also dosed in the Bates and Menlo Park LSD projects, members of the Bohemian Grove Society, and all children of Masonic families. The Grateful Dead was managed by Alan Trist, son of Tavistock scientist Eric Trist. Also in the handling and directing of The Grateful Dead was CIA psychologist Hank Harrison, who was also the father of Courtney Love. So the hippie generation, deadheads, uh, psychedelic rock, and LSD popularity came directly out of the CIA, Tavistock-funded and guided Mary Prankster Group of the West Coast and the Carnegie mellon funded Harvard Research Group of Leary on the East Coast. Uh, Later, which would produce the psychedelic drug-running gang, the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, where eventually uh, both sides would come together under one umbrella, solidifying the degenerate culture once and for all in 67 at the Human Be-In. Festival in San Francisco Golden Gate Park from the early days of the Beats and Harry Smith's folk revival to the psychedelic era with characters like wavy gravy who will become one of the prime LSD dispensers in the counterculture in fact this is the guy who supplied the quote-unquote bad acid at Woodstock along with wavy gravy would come the most infamous of the bunch though Al Hubbard and not to be confused with L Ron Hubbard of Scientology fame might have pushed more physical LSD but Timothy Leary sold the culture of LSD He sold the worldview of the hippie generation. He embodied the spirit of freedom through rebellion that defined America at the time. An open CIA operative, psychologist, and Harvard man, Timothy Leary was a devout Crowleyite. In fact, he openly explains in many interviews how he felt he was continuing the work that Crowley left off when he passed. I've been an admirer of Aleister Crowley. I think that uh, I'm carrying on much of the work that uh, he started uh, over 100 years ago and I think the 60s themselves. You know, Crowley said, uh, uh, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law under love it was a very powerful
0: statement i'm sorry he's around now to appreciate the glories that he started
1: harry smith surprisingly stated nearly the same sentiments both continuing in the great work of the beast and contributing to the destabilization and spiritual possession of humanity
0: they're looking for magic Uh, because there's a moment when you see something like that there's a crack in your mind and and that crack lets in all the light uh, it opens up all the possibilities it just goes wow did you see that that is the that's the moment that is puts them in touch with the invisible
1: By 1966, a strong black-and-white trauma-bonding psychological operation was at work, and losing one's mind to make sense of it all presented itself as the only option for a great majority, pushing the popular worldview further into satanic perspectives, undergoing spiritual possession and mind control on encompassing scales. So it would only make sense that the media joins in on the programming. In 1966, the fantasy genre started to, out of nowhere, explode. Adding to the space and alien programming, the popular show Star Trek was first aired, creating a subgenre culture within it itself. The Batman show was also released, and grown men today in 2017 are still watching Batman. Space Ghost became an instant hit for the kids, and you know they always looking out for the kids. Oh, and the subtle and sexually suggestive game Twister came out for all the whippersnappers and partygoers right around the time birth control was being more accepted and avidly pushed into cities and counties via Planned Parenthood. Interesting. 66 would also spawn the beginning of the Great Occult Revival and solidifying in 1970, starting with the 66 foundation of the Church of Satan in San Francisco, formed by Crowleyite Anton LaVey. Many famous celebs would join this church and many other cults and orders would pop up over the next few years popularizing Crowley and his work, nearly bringing him back to life in a way. The Rolling Stones and The Beatles would have a great deal to do with this. Since they all were devout Crowley followers, they couldn't help but make Crowleyan material. They would push the Crowleyan philosophies through their art, weaponizing it and transforming the culture into something ugly, something sinister and ancient. I
0: remember when we first went in, one of the people said, Who are you in text, And Texas? I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's business. And I remember that in my conscience, it, it's so alive in me, even just recalling it. I remember that I had gone so far and there was no turning back. That even if I had wanted to run, even if I had wanted to leave, I couldn't. It was like I was caught in something that I had no control over. I had absolutely no say so as to what was happening there. I was just like a tool in the hands of the devil, is the only way I can put
1: it. By 67, Charles Manson steps on the scene and yes, directly tied to the CIA, somewhat of a monarch assassin slash handler, very educated in hypnotism, Scientology, and the manipulative use of LSD, which he was generously supplied with via secret intelligence cells in the Bay Area. He took up residence in Berkeley and wandered the streets learning the area and its people. This is where he found the Scientology spin-off cult, Process Church, where he would eventually recruit minions to form his later-famed Manson family. And not at all surprising, Manson came directly out of the Beat Generation movement, and was now a hippie, indulging in LSD and pretty much whatever else he could get his hands on. Dark things were manifesting in the counterculture and by design psychedelics were the mainstay and literal engine of youth at this time the human beaten would be the pre Woodstock event that officially established the culture put on by Leary by way of mysterious drug scene guru John Starr cook through agent Sherman Kent right-hand man of the illustrious Alan Dulles everybody who was anybody attended the human Be-In festival in 1967 and I imagine little did any of them know that the CIA was behind the entire function It brought together all the new left free speech and anti-war rabble-rousers of Berkeley with the stoner tech brats of Stanford that would later bring us the internet and the personal computer through Stuart Brand. The go-between of LSD and the internet It brought all of the liberal counter-establishment crews and broods to the same floor to bathe in drugs and free love, fantasize about changing the world and reaching a higher state of being. Babylon rising: The dream before the Nightmare. It's interesting how the Summer of Love, which was during this year in 1967, appeared to give the culture a moment of sincere and genuine happiness, a drug-induced victory of sorts, a sense of accomplishment. A brief and imagined accomplishment in happiness, that is. 68 would erase all of that and start the very beginning of the end of a cultural movement. By 1968, the psychedelic movement had hit a crescendo. In the spirit of Huxley, Wasson, and Leary, Carlos Castaneda, the next agent of psychedelic propaganda, became famous with his peyote-painted Don Juan novel series. An anthropologist and protege of Gordon Wasson, Castaneda was featured in again and as always... Time Magazine, and labeled the godfather of the new age. Probably the most significant of the MKUltra projects of drugging society through creating cultures that survive on drugs was the book written by Tom Wolfe, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, which single-handedly created an entire new and fresh movement of first-time LSD users and supporters. Though LSD was illegal in many areas by 66, this piece of literature made it a god laws and regulations had no meaning at this point. The Dark Age was here. Things were getting more debased, more sexual. Music was getting darker and twisted. The black metal genre was growing and even black metal glam rock was surfacing. This homoerotic androgynous yet gothic and witchy music that was littered with Crowleyism and and its authors were open Crowleyites.
0: I was, I had, I fell
1: into the trap of this, the black magic
0: uh, capitalism and um, the whole idea of the uh, just the Crowleyism of you know the times and uh, I really got
1: completely disoriented by all that. Rosemary's Baby came out this year in '68, setting the tone for the following year to come, birthing the Crowlian crowned and conquering child. At the same time this year and assisting in the domestic Phoenix project of social terrorism, the serial killer operations were brewing beginning most significantly with the zodiac killings the zodiac who had happened to be terrorizing the San Francisco Bay Area home of the counterculture though this terrorized mainly the silent majority and bystanders of the current psycho cult of drugged and doomed rebel squads that ranged between 16 and 30 years old just as planned this surely didn't stop the spread of counterculture doctrine and mind control as the esalon institute became more popular and celebs like allen Ginsberg and alan watts continued to peddle their spiritual poison to the masses of foolishly curious followers the new age was taking its full form but it needed a span of events to crack and dismantle any residual of modernity or morality left in society and this started with the killing of martin luther king and bobby kennedy if there was ever an official moment or beginning to the end It was now the civil rights movement would take on a violent and devastating turn and whatever hope that was left in a stable country and balanced social climate was gone 1969 would finally put a fork in it all and the dazed and confused counterculture had no idea what was getting ready to hit them 1969 the cancerous Ouroboros eating itself by nature with all its occult meaning within the numbers and matching rituals that followed during its reign, would surely be a 12-month period to remember. This year was one people call not only an end of a decade, but an end of an era. The final socio-psychological split in spiritual possession would take place during this time. The finale of finales before the age of Aquarius, the dawn of Janus, a new age movement that would take its establishing seat in 1970 rounding out the full debasement of American culture and the utter destruction of righteousness and Christian morale that kept society together. The new left movements of liberation and weaponized human rights injected postmodern ideals into this new world. Babylonian doctrines outweighed biblical understanding and seared consciences overruled the poor righteous teachers. Drugs, free love, and unabated reckless sexuality warped the rationale of a country and these habits and lifestyles were spreading across the earth via media and entertainment, as it always does, and by design and its success. So to fulfill this journey and take the 70s into a completely deeper and darker realm of spirituality, 1967 had to be momentous and devastating. Reality had to be shaped and shattered within a single blow. Fantasy, tragedy, unrest, and wonder had to be rolled out consecutively in just the right order to topple humanity once and for all, and lay the proper groundwork to bring in a floundering new age and brave new world. 1969 was very eventful, to say the least. To continue in the space-race propaganda of NASA and spirit of crowley John Whiteside Parsons, many know him as Jack Parsons, father of NASA via his pan-deity-inspired and alchemic jet propulsion lab, The moon landing PSYOP was unleashed on the damaged and shaken American people. Apollo 11 on July 16th, which is 7-7 in numerology. An evoking ritual and psychological operation wrapped in one, playing on the imagination and wonder that presented itself plenty, and as would to be expected, especially after receiving so much trauma over the previous several years. The American people were looking for any excuse to be taken away, and blasted off into what could be since what was wasn't appetizing people were hungry for escape nixon came in office as president a lifetime actor and character i believe trump is being designed after would soon end dollar convertibility to gold and even further deepen the welfare state and socialist empire by broadening the great society social programs of lyndon B. johnson the stonewall riots would occur right in time for the wild 70s and soon Studio 54 era. These riots birthed the gay rights movement, propping up the secret Skull and Bones creation, the Mattachine Society of Nambla Advocate and gay rights guru Harry Hay, and of course, San Francisco's own milk to follow. The Baphomet spirit was in the midst. At the same time, Jack Kerouac would die, ending officially the remnant of the beat generation that had now morphed into an LSD and heroin-ridden band of knuckle-dragging hippies, yogis. And outlaws. Another huge blow this year would be the assassination of prominent Black Panther Fred Hampton, officially ending the Black Panther movement of black liberation. Soon we will see the conversion of the focused militant and socially concerned black culture into a smooth operating jive spitting lady pimping and perm dripping culture of sin and debauchery ushered in by a dubious character indeed Time Life magazine photographer CIA operative and film director, Gordon Parks. But we will save his story for the 70s. And as always, Hollywood would play a key role in making the counterculture the staple culture of the period, with the degenerate drug dealer and rebel hero film, Easy Rider, which was released in the early summer. Like Shaft would birth the pimp and hoe and flash and doe culture. Easy Rider made the anti-establishment stoner and outcast cool, sexy, and heroic all in the guise of a compelling and persuasive script, amazing acting, and a twisted, catchy ending, as usual. Next was the culture-shocking and society-transcending incident of the Manson family murders that occurred the same summer, 1969. August 9th, the same day the Haunted Mansion opened at Disneyland, several miles away, the same year Marilyn Manson, the death metal musician, was born. Oh, but these are all just probably coincidences, right? Hmm. Mixed with the Zodiac killings, the assassinations and untimely deaths, the new potentials of space travel and a concurrent bloody war overseas, 1969 had presented itself as a nail-studded baseball bat in mid-swing. So to continue in this fear-and-pleasure, masochistic type of narrative, of course a hedonistic and mind-blasting event had to be presented. And literally days after the Manson murders, the Central Intelligence-funded and organized Woodstock Mass Doping Project was opened. Bringing the largest mass of human bodies together during what some would say was one of the most tragic and destabilizing moments in history. As a joined unit to dissociate and bury somewhere deep within the subconscious the everlasting pains and absorb the tainted, bad acid and mind-altering drugs as test rats for the biggest socio-psychological science project ever produced. Woodstock, sub-project of MK Ultra, sex, drugs, and mysticism. The Dionysian pleasure trough made specifically for the useless eaters to detach and frolic. Just as the human potential movement of Huxley, the native revival of Wasson, and the weaponized anthropology of Bateson would have it. whom all worked in the spirit of Aleister Crowley, who used the same drugs, sex, and music in his workings and rituals before all of this. The great work was at hand. To officially end the era and steal the imagined success of the hippie culture in Woodstock and to square away the decade, the Rolling Stones attempted to throw a West Coast version of the event known as the Altamont, held at the Altamont Speedway in Northern California in December 1969. After a decade of strife, Too much pleasure, too much drugs, and not enough moral guidance, the counterculture hit a wall at Altamont. To start, it was secured by the CIA drug and prostitution running organization, the Hell's Angels. Paid with LSD and alcohol, they secured the three-foot stage with knives and pull sticks. Similar to the way Rome fell, Altamont demonstrated an excellent example of climax within hedonistic movements. Violence played throughout the entire event, Overdoses and tragedy marked it with despair. By the end, four people had been murdered. One man even had a gun and was stabbed to death by the Hells Angels, right in front of the stage. When you realize the stones supporters of the Satanic Process Church, devout Crowleyites, and the Hells Angels as security, more drugs than one could pack in a Merry Prankster school bus, and thousands of beaten, lost individuals made up the body of this event, it is easy to see what type of spirit was holding all of this together. After the Altamont concert, the counterculture as it was known was officially dead. Like Sharon Tate, Fred Hampton, King, both Kennedys, and Kerouac. And the establishment had the next set of events and institutes to guide these lost and beat souls into preceding levels of consciousness. The new age of cults and gurus, neo-paganism, black exploitation, and self-indulgence. The giant leap from the counterculture we generation to the 70s Babylonian me generation that would bring us right into the 80s MTV generation. Newer drugs, newer fads and personalities yet same worldview and dark spirit holding it together like a glue. Beginning with 1970, the moral fabric of America was officially torn. The hive mind was shattered and now full-on dissociation would set in.
0: grow up everybody grows up with different morals according to their culture okay when you take acid your mind expands beyond these moral characteristics and your concepts of right and wrong so you step out beyond those bounds and when you step out beyond those bounds the imagination begins to take over and the imagination is a very deceitful thing it's a fantasy and when you take acid you go out beyond that you think you're coming back to where you started from originally you don't and every time you drop acid, you get a little bit further away from reality. And I took so much acid that I just was what I would term spaced. And it took me many years to, what I term now, re-enter. And that was just through not having any acid and having to deal with reality
1: every day. I've been an admirer of Aleister Crowley. I think that uh, I'm carrying on much of the work that uh, he started uh, over 100 years ago, and I think the 60s themselves. You know, Crowley said,
0: uh, uh, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, under love. It was a very powerful statement. I'm sorry is around now to appreciate the glories that he started.
1: The 1960s were by far the most transient, traumatic, and influential years America had ever endured. By 69, the revolutionary counterculture was taking its last breaths, or on its deathbed, if you will. But at the same time, a new age was being born, the final stage in the spiritual and social mutation of humankind. The decade man would forget the true and living God, worship himself, and every imagination of thoughts of his heart was only evil, continuously. Wickedness of man was great in the earth, and America, the new Babylon, its cup overfloweth. Drunk on the wine, it inspires the nations, reshaping, re-educating, and swallowing the world whole, while it fashions the new global order. White and black magic occupied the quarters, Angels of light and angels of darkness would replace the true faith, while many counterfeit faiths would transpire. As America was consecutively flipped on its head over a three-decade period, by 1970, the great work was practically finished. And whatever else wicked things that were to come this way would come freely and organically, since by this point society had been indoctrinated and possessed to act inherently wicked, careless, turbulent, and lustful all the while painfully naive, desperate, and zealous. And as always, media technology, film and music entertainment, celebrity and guru-endorsed foolish knowledge of man, would drive society senseless. Like putty in the hand, man was rendered endlessly malleable, yet arrogant, prideful, yet ignorant. As Locke would have it, society as a whole became a clean slate Man presented himself as a science project. In its perfect royal society construction, humanity played servant to the beast, a place where the sky was the limit, and as it were, all your desires could be met. Yet whatever you were truly looking for could never be found, because as we know, without the eyes to see and ears to hear, one will only exist deaf and blind. In any search for the truth, no matter how energetic or sacrificial, always come up missing we can look at the 70s as a moment of searching because we were lost unfortunately we were too busy searching to be cool getting high or getting off the lust of the flesh lust of the eyes and pride of life as the 70s proved so successfully man is and always has been susceptible to the wickedness of this world and they would be the critical set of years that conquered the will of man once and for all let us observe how this decadent decade manifested itself to start we will cover the specific areas that made this spiritual corruption and final social transformation possible these elements of influence play directly off of the success of the predecessor movements of the 60s for instance in the 70s we will discuss the exploitation era that budded from and derailed the civil rights movement the Occult Rising movement and New Thought or New Age spirituality wave that was birthed through the demented counterculture and satanic cults of the late 60s. As the 1970s prepared the solidification of the Occult Rising, new left propaganda would continue to thrive. The sex industry would be established as a cultural badge of honor, matched with domestic terrorism and mass psyops. It would pose another 10 years of trauma-based mind control, and spiritual possession to the american people and ultimately the world as a whole the 1970s spawning of the occult rising sexual and mental liberation and the journey for self in the final formation of the new babylon a key component has always been the promotion of freedom and the pursuit of personal happiness limitless liberation and the choice to do what thou wilt moreover and aside from the flowery love and peace rhetoric This liberty represented living free of moral boundaries, free of obedience to God, and something higher than oneself. This liberty has always been rooted in the escape of moral responsibility, denial of God, ordained laws, righteousness, modesty, and the natural order of things. And what better way to manifest this culture of rebellion than to create a media and entertainment induced pagan revival? and occult resurrection fueled by sex, drugs, uh, irresponsibility, and pop music. True Christian faith, meekness, accountability, and conscientiousness stood as a nuisance and roadblock to self-absorbed happiness and the desirable. In order for the new Babylon to proliferate, these ideals had to be demolished and completely removed from the minds and hearts of the people. Consciences had to be seared, Hearts had to be corrupted in order for spiritual possession to take its course on the generation. Though we witnessed the formation of this liberty culture in the early 60s, not until the 70s did it begin its final stages of formation. A given society is typically transformed through three levels. Politically, through legislation, civics, and government policy, domestic affairs, etc. Uh, Socially, through the creation of culture, via media, education, and entertainment. And lastly, spiritually through the manipulation of the ego and corruption of the flesh, deism, pantheism, atheism, or godhood. Though directly and oftentimes indirectly, or even opposing each other in Hegelian dialectics, these three bodies of politics, culture, and spirituality always operate in concert, financially and ideologically, colluding towards the same goal. By 1970, two major political movements sent shockwaves across the nation. These were Women's Liberation and the Gay Rights Movement. Although the second wave feminism took its first real steps in the early 60s, and the Gay Rights Movement was sparked by the Stonewall Riots of 69. By 1970, these two flourishing political movements were not only being led by communist organizations and central intelligence, but they were piggybacking directly off of the now defunct Civil Rights Movement. The American Jewish Committee-controlled Black Liberation Movement was abandoned and gay rights and feminism became the new program of interest. Socialist and communist regimes have always used blacks to fulfill clandestine operations, similar to the current Black Lives Matter group. As it were then, even today, the same exists. Black Lives Matter's funds come directly from Jewish billionaire political agitator George Soros, included with the Ford Foundation and even Google. Direction and support comes from central intelligence and think tank foundations like the Brookings Institute. Same goals, same motivations. Interestingly enough, BLM is much less about black liberation than it is about gay, trans, and women's rights propaganda. In fact, they aim to propose them as a combined equal and smash them all together into a streamlined human rights war machine. Are we starting to get this picture clearly now? Uh, there's also Antifa. Uh, right of Russia and many other agitator liberal armies and color revolutions are being built across the earth to continue this luciferian and communist culture that we saw take its form in the 60s and 70s and by 1970 black liberation was altogether forgotten yet feminists and homosexuals use the black plight to justify their own exactly as we see this new trans gay rights movement and third wave feminist front today resulting in the further of the age-old plan in the destruction of the family, the psychological and physical abuse of the child, and overall corruption of society and God-ordained natural order. Remarkable. The neoliberal socialization of the world marches on. And let us not be confused. Alt-right, patriot, conservative nationalism is only a mere dialectic, a fake Christian capitalist front used to form the other end of the pickle left or right. They both aim to establish global government and secular humanism. They just use different strategies to convince you of it. Oh, and libertarianism is part of the trick bag as well. They're basically New Age or anarcho-humanists and atheists or both. Conservative when it's convenient and liberal when it sounds right. And just as antichrist as the rest. Still pushing the same moral relativism, Secular humanism and new left postmodern agendas of the beat generation, even if they don't realize it. Being political distorts your perception by default for believing in the system to begin with. The political system is the blueprint to global slavery, set up to fail and to mislead. War, false religion, and the manipulation of culture are the weapons wielded. The economy is simply an illusion and part of the magic and stagecraft to fill in the spaces and the 70s played as a springboard in which this political sleight of hand performance began to bloom since the vietnam war was ending so was the activist fervor that accompanied it but new left chomskyites and neo-communist groups still persisted in aims to produce social unrest in the country like media parade and cia agitprop group the chicago seven increasing the zeal of new leftists everywhere in 71 Another intelligence radical front group, the uh, Weather Underground, who formed in the vehement year of 69, out of the new left faction, students of a democratic society, continued to make headlines for the public to fidget over. Of course, straight out of Chicago, home of communism and the new left movement. The Weathermen were in fact a domestic terrorism squad known for their consistent protest bombings, all done in the glorious name of democracy, allegedly fighting for black power and liberation, of course. These were the original of what we would call today SJWs, or social justice warriors. Same goals, same motivations, same results. Again, we find the establishment creating proxy warrior units to terrorize society, while using the black plight as an excuse, all the while doing nothing whatsoever to actually help the black community. A nice connection between the LSD and MK Ultra program of the counterculture to political movements and activism is the faithful tie between the Weathermen and the infamous Timothy Leary, who they assisted in breaking out of jail in the fervent year of
0: 1970. Times, so. One of the group's most high-profile actions was helping the counterculture hero Timothy Leary escape from a California prison.
1: I think I'm the strongest, strongest person around.
0: Leary was serving a 10-year prison sentence for possession of several joints. The Weather Underground was paid $20,000 for the job. This group, the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, do you know who they are?
1: They gave us a certain amount of money to break Leary out of jail and get him out of the country. They're, uh, a, um, they, they were the, uh, an asset, a drug group, mainly LSD, that had Leary as their figurehead, and they had a lot of money. Black
0: Panther leader Eldridge Cleaver said that LSD advocate Timothy Leary who escaped from a California prison last month, has joined forces with him in Algeria. I escaped uh, with the help of the Weatherman Underground. Uh, 25 of their crack uh, underground operators came to California for six weeks before my escape. And uh, it was a very complicated operation. They not only helped us escape, uh, they spirited us to several of their underground uh, stations with great efficiency. We might have failed the people of the United States. Uh, the Third World War has begun. Uh, join us in the fight for freedom because uh, we are everywhere, and we're happy, and we're free, and we want to make the world free.
1: Further demonstrating how politics and culture are directly tied at the hip, with the same intentions and goals, and controlled by the same nefarious groups. Dialectics are used to detract the public from figuring this out. For instance, though Leary was jailed and politically viewed as an insider or rabble-rouser, as were the weather underground, Yet they all were covert operatives of Central Intelligent Agent Groups and American academic institutes. Staged in a pretend war with the FBI and COINTELPRO, it was quite a show, one we are still watching today. (music) Included were the tragic Kent State shootings of 71, all in response to the propaganda-driven Vietnam War. In reaction to this orchestrated bloodbath of a war, the American society became a frothing at the mouth communist colony ready to forfeit their rights and belief systems for anarchy and perceived democracy in a very short matter of years. And it was political events like the Kent State shooting, the actions of the Weather Underground and many other provocateur groups and the overall tone and value system of the counterculture that assisted in this rapid social transition. From 1953 to 1973, the American people were completely unrecognizable. Also in 71, the man guy Jimi Hendrix died of a heroin overdose, officially finishing off the remnants of the resistance and avid 60s we generation. A new era was beginning, and new artists, propaganda, drugs, and uh, media outlets needed to be produced to further the indoctrination. Following the diligent New Left successes of radio station KPFA, Ford Foundation-funded relative PBS, or Public Broadcasting System, which began its first network productions in 1971, adding to the slow and steady neoliberal socialization of the American population. Included at this time of 1971 was the biggest economic blow since Woodrow Wilson. President Richard Nixon discontinued the currency to gold standard, which would introduce the fiat currency system officially kicking off the economic process of our all-out social enslavement not to say these events are anything new or, or surprising for all has been written and these things must come to pass to bring forth judgment correction and reproach and of course resurrection and essentially the kingdom so as unfortunate and bleak as elements of our history may present themselves believers are free of grief and despair free of the spirit of fear and set free by knowledge of the truth. Yet it is imperative that we understand the process in which it all came about, despite the mountains of lies and propaganda we have been generationally indoctrinated with. So let us continue. By 72, the political climate had rapidly changed. Though the feminist and gay rights movements were barreling full steam ahead, the civil rights movement was dead and the anti-war activism of the counterculture was losing its steam. Why is this one might ask? Well, CIA spokesman and poster child of second wave feminism, Gloria Steinem, was being used to play the role of master homewrecker, pretending to empower women by indoctrinating them to desire the promiscuous single life and the workforce, which by default would destroy the traditional family structure, creating single family homes. Indeed, in the same vein as we discussed before with the Beat Generation and postmodernism, which aimed to destroy tradition and natural order altogether. We will continue to discover postmodernism only thrived throughout the 70s. As a key element of postmodernism, the gay rights movement aimed to do the same, yet it also aimed to erase the lines of sexuality and deepen the perversion within the demographics of society, break down the borders of modesty and chastity, and reverse the natural order of man. Woman and child, by appeasing the convicted spirit of a small minority, by forcefully convincing the world that the unnatural and perverted was normal and deserving of praise. Also, we will later find out how children were included in this movement of depravity in the closing years of the decade with the founding of the homosexual organization called NAMBLA in 1977. By now, Gender and sexuality were so politically important that they completely smothered the Black Liberation Movement into unconsciousness. As the anti-war front was on its way out right behind the Civil Rights Movement, and as Nixon slowly pulled out troops and now discontinued the requirement of a military draft, protesters and activists seemed to completely lose interest in the cause, dispersing full on by 73, and became more concerned with the mainstream pop culture which was altogether void of its former political tone of the 60s and was now a loose, doped up and chilled out, funky and cynical theme park for the down and out. the desperate and eager, fearful and loathing, lost and unfound. Overnight, anti-war activism and fighting the man became a fringe effort. And now, drugs, horoscopes and fashion statements were all the fuss. Yet again, another drastic social transformation in such a very short amount of time all curated through politics, culture creation, and mind-altering substances. By the look of things, it becomes all too clear that indeed the Vietnam War was never a military war, but a political one, as they all are, and always were. A war based on culture creation, a paradigm shifting, and social engineering. On one end, fomented to establish a controlling stake in the Southeast Asian Golden Triangle trading port for the ongoing opium market, and on the other end to raise a massive reactionary social movement and counterculture based in communist values and new left, neoliberal anarchy and feudalism the perfect culture that would eventually produce the ideal environment for slavery under new world socialism including with a massive assembly of test dummies and willing bodies to consume endless amounts of mind altering drugs and demonic forces mind controlling media or propaganda and hypersexual lifestyles that would evaporate the conscience of humankind once and for all. By 1973, once again, a new age was being born, a new culture was created, a new man and woman, and a new spiritual condition, the narcissist Narcosis. In 1972, the country was divided, dazed, confused, and subdued. The reaction to the problem of war in Vietnam was achieved, and now the solutions would be formed. New domestic industries, markets, and subcultures had been birthed. America was now a beaten, rebellious, and reckless society, a modern Babylonian sex cult. And the film industry would, by design, reflect this. The 1972 films like Clockwork Orange, and black exploitation film Superfly would depict this climate of utter depravity perfectly. Speaking of black exploitation, we encountered the other side of the demise of the civil rights movement. While feminism and gay rights pushed black liberation into the shadows, at the same time, black exploitation aimed to detract the focus and shatter the reality of the black population as a whole. Hardly a year after the death of Panther Fred Hampton, the black exploitation era began, officially ending any potential of development in the black community, done so by corrupting the culture, in turn possessing the spirit, and re-engineering an entire people. This all began in 1971 and right out of the Black Panther Party. So let us rewind back to 66 to set up the development. As we discussed in Part 2 of the series, Time Life magazine photographer and Office of War Information agent Gordon Parks was assigned the position of documentarian, for the Black Panther Party in 1966 under the auspices of the Central Intelligence Agency. In fact, even prior, he had always made a career out of taking visceral and poignant imagery of the Black American experience. Though his talents were used for espionage and the covert surveillance of the civil rights movement. A wolf in sheep's clothing, a hired mole. Parks would not only photograph the Black Panther Party, but he would also play as an intelligence agent for the U.S. government along with numerous other plants within the party like Columbia University Man and Jewish leftist fundraiser David Horowitz, whom once the party was dismantled in 69, joined the CIA front publication Ramparts Magazine as editor. And today is shockingly a right-wing conservative. Interesting. Horowitz was also an employee for the Peace Foundation of London under Fabian socialist and eugenicist Bertrand Russell. Another prominent agent was Panther member Elaine Brown would play as a honeypot and eventually introduce Huey P. Newton to heroin through a backdoor drug-running racket developed through Horowitz, as well as documented FBI agent Richard Aoki of Berkeley University's Young Socialist Alliance. He joined the Black Panther Party in 1966. As a top-level informant, Aoki was commissioned to provide the party with an arsenal of weapons to radicalize the group. At this point, the party took on a much more aggressive and confrontational direction. Prior to Aoki's joining, the Panther Party was innocuous, yet still a communist justice league. They were simply starting school breakfast programs and holding peaceful meetings focused on community building and education. Gordon Parks played a key role in this secret intelligence orchestrated radicalization of the Black Panther Party in Oakland, California. He single-handedly sensationalized the armed and dangerous reputation of the party by making their weapon brandishing images famous. Parks would produce some of the most significant agitation propaganda of the era, all the while frightening society and demonizing the black people. While Richard Aoki stoked the ideological flame by inciting violence with endless supplies of intelligence-provided weapons and deep socialist and leftist rhetoric, this would go on until 1969 when the party was officially disbanded with the assassination and brutal murder of Fred Hampton by the FBI. The Panthers were finished, but Parks' career was only just beginning during this time he also worked as a consultant of hollywood productions this is what we would call today an intelligence liaison like chase brandon for example secret intelligence has always been directly connected to hollywood just as much as it is to the occult they play as a subversive trinity that has had the ability to construct society since its inception so it only makes sense that parks would develop his career further in satan's theater he continued his exploitation of black life by producing a successful series of documentaries based on ghetto life called the learning tree that same year of 69 becoming hollywood's first major black director by 1971 parks had spawned the most vile and detrimental film genre to date exploitation, with breakout film shaft while parks became a legend and pioneer of a genre With the help of Jewish writers and production studios and foundation funding, of course, he destroyed the prosperity of the culture by utilizing a powerful mind-control medium like entertainment to redefine and re-engineer an entire population of people. Black exploitation would go on to attack modesty, righteousness, and all things pure and good within the nature of Black behavior. Its modification would take a disturbing turn from 1971 forward. Interestingly, he was used by the same organizations that funded and directed the Civil Rights Movement, Many Jewish organizations abandoned the civil rights movement once it ceased and went on to Hollywood to produce exploitation cinema, like Herbert Marcuse of the Frankfurt School, an integral part of the Black Panther movement and communist-driven New Left agenda in general. Marcuse also would go on to play a big role in the development of certain types of film in Hollywood, Theodore Adorno as well. The Frankfurt School intellectuals went directly from the academic realm to the entertainment realm to help stir the pot, and well, the rest is history. Just turn on your TV today, look at any current series on the internet, Netflix, uh, big budget cinema, any of it, and all of it. We might say it was pretty bad then, well, look how far it has come. Mind Control Programming and Entertainment Soul Sucking Garbage Hollywood appears to be a CIA Jesuit alliance forged as an apparatus for social conditioning over a long-term trajectory, and granted, with many foreign silent investor partners included. This alliance, indeed, predates the film industry. It goes as far back as the Crusades, and we are aware of the coalition between the Crown and Vatican City. Though the CIA came out of the OSS, the OSS was a descendant of British intelligence, which goes directly back to the witch John Dee, the original. 007. Further connecting intelligence, the occult, and stagecraft media entertainment. Back to Gordon Parks. By 1972, and in typical fraternal brotherhood fashion of the elite, nepotism kept the black exploitation genre moving swiftly. A genre that I consider an intelligence-manufactured MK Ultra program, most likely cooked up in the Tavistock Institute. Gordon Parks Jr. would release the silver bullet film that defined the genre, Superfly.
0: chance for nothing, and I go back to being nothing. I've got some job for chump James day after day, because that's all I'm supposed to do, then they won't have to kill me, because didn't know. Ain't I clean, bad machine, super cool, super mean, feeling good for the man, super fly, you're our man, secret smash, every breath, bad in the bed, I'm your pusher man. Get a super fly, Harlem, do beat the system. He's got a plan, just stick it to the man. He's
1: super hood, super high, super dude, super fly. It was released in 1972 and started the pimp and hoe, smoke and blow culture of the 70s. One that would continue for decades and is still very live and well today. As Gordon Sr. passed the torch, his son would drive the dagger a bit deeper into the hearts of a culture with his smash hit and cult classic, Superfly where drugs, violence, and lust became fashionable and endearing. And of course, striking a fierce dialectic politically in society by sexualizing and objectifying women on screen during the height of the women's liberation movement, which was also the same time as the height of the sexual revolution. 1972 strangely produced the strongest feminist movement and objectification of women media productions all in the same year. Another excellent example of agitation propaganda. Especially when you confirm that the CIA was, for one, behind the formation and guidance of the feminist movement, and two, behind the production studios that were releasing consecutive smut material. The book Joy of Sex was a bestseller, and Playboy was a lead publication nationwide. Interestingly, the feminist movement focused on support of lesbianism and denouncement of female sexualization. Yet it simultaneously promoted free love and irresponsible sexual relationships for women. Not to mention, black exploitation films shamelessly promoted prostitution, rape scenes, and black women as harlots and swindlers. Yet, the same year, the first black woman in history ran for president, Shirley Chisholm. If one wants to seriously screw up the mental state of society, this is surely one way of doing it. Black exploitation films would continue and increase in their depravity throughout the decade. Notorious films like The Mac would solidify pimp culture and drug dealing in the inner cities. Actress Pam Grier in her films like Coffee and Foxy Brown would indoctrinate women with a Jezebel spirit that is still extremely prevalent today and cannot be missed anywhere in Hollywood or the entertainment industry. To add to this, the black exploitation film genre set the precedent for a very lucrative sex trade and prostitution industry. Though it always existed, black exploitation films glamorized it, made it part of the culture, and the music industry would assist in this glamorization. To be accurate, Parks cannot actually take credit for creating the first Black Exploitation film. In fact, it was first done by a lesser-known, independent producer named Melvin Van Peebles with his sloppy and perverse film Sweet Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, which was no more than a sad excuse for a black liberation flick that relied on sex, vulgarity, and violence to retain viewership. Brazen and cheap, it opened with a graphic pedophile scene as well as a typical black buck sex scene that foreshadowed the adult industry that was getting ready to take off in a few years. And again, the nepotism continued with his son's work, Mario Van Peebles, who would later continue the debasing legacy of Van Peebles Sr. by creating a new age black exploitation era of his own, with his cult classic film *New Jack City* in 1991, which set the stage for many other hustler and thug films that complemented the gangster rap industry wave of Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. Coincidence? I think not. So black exploitation has never ended and is as alive and well as it was in 1972. But in 72, things were just forming, and new waves of cultural influence were being created for very little money, but at the spiritual expense of millions. Black exploitation became a cold-blooded social weapon, and as Curtis Mayfield quoted, a commercial for cocaine. Settling the precedent for an up-and-coming adult film industry and lucrative drug market, especially the cocaine market, that would hit its peak in 1977 and wreak havoc into the 80s with crack exploitation films would take a historical seat in the archives of classic social engineering media feeding into the debasement of culture and the proliferation of the prison industrial complex once again by establishment intelligence and foundation funded production studios blacks were used to not only destroy themselves but to create demonic culture and assist in the demoralization of a nation and the 70s is where it all took place Another large-scale industry that was being structured during this time was in the area of academia, social sciences, and the New Age culture of knowledge, or epistemology, which is the study of knowledge, how we know what we know. The 70s relied on the journey of self, self self-help to be precise, and man-focused salvation as a defining feature of the decade. Some might call this period the growth of mind sciences, I prefer to call them spirit sciences. And it is understood that many of these sciences already existed and had quite the following, like L. Ron Hubbard and his Scientology cult, for instance, as well as the work of Alan Watts and those like him, whom were both intelligence operation representatives. But Hubbard and the spirit sciences in general would have a formidable opponent in the competition for the social high mind by 1971, Interestingly, uh, this is the period when government documents describe as a time when the MK Ultra projects were brought to a halt and discontinued. Yet from the year of 71 forward, hundreds of mind cults and spiritual enclaves began to sprout throughout the country, and it is no coincidence that the leaders behind these groups and philosophies were always directly connected to secret intelligence and elite organizations and used techniques in their teachings that mirrored precisely those practiced in MK Ultra subprojects giving more reason to believe that, in fact, MKUltra had only continued from the early 70s and on, but much less behind government facility walls, and far more within the public sphere, academic circles, and of course, throughout the many spiritual cults and self-help groups of the New Age culture. And this new outgrowth of domestication of high science mind control known as MKUltra was exemplified best by one extremely influential man of the period. His name is Werner Erhard born john paul rosenberg the founder and creator of the most successful mind conditioning science ever created est erhard seminar training in 1971 erhard gave his first seminar in san francisco california erhard's influences and mentors expose his work significantly as truly representing nothing more than a corporatized offshoot of Tavistock institute techniques of human behavior modification also known as mk ultra to start Erhard was an integral member of the Huxleyan Human Potential Movement. He was also a representative for the Esselon Institute, both Central Intelligence Front organizations. Not surprisingly, he was a student and friend of Alan Watts, also a student of intelligence psychologist Carl Rogers and Abraham Maslow. Erhard was skilled in Dianetics of Scientology as well as Hypnosis. He was well-trained in the science of hypnosis and psychocybernetics, in which he studied under Maxwell Maltz. In other words, Earhart was a mind-control expert, in every sense of the word. He was presented as a guest speaker for nearly every elite university. Yale, Dartmouth, Berkeley, MIT, Oxford, Harvard, Stanford, and the list goes on. He was also an investor and associate of SRI, Stanford Research Institute, and he participated in the MKUltra remote viewing trials, along with many other human behavior and mind science studies directly connected to NGOs, non-government organizations like UNESCO. He also started his own, a global government eugenics front called the Hunger Project, which today touts a Herculean 1 million members and representatives. Today, his mind-conditioning science is called Landmark Worldwide and is the most successful corporate training and team-building program to date. Erhard was heavily influenced philosophically by the aforementioned Michel Foucault, the postmodernist thinker and new leftist who pushed the sex revolution to the point of his own death from AIDS after his lust-driven life of frequent San Francisco math house visiting. Erhard was also a fan of Edgar Cayce, the Christian mystic and legendary channeler. Probably most revealing and connecting Werner Erhard to the MK Ultra Projects is his connection to his mentor and teacher Gregory Bateson, most likely the biggest influence on Erhard's work. The same Bateson who helped form the Central Intelligence Agency, kicked off the MKUltra Project as a weaponized anthropology mission, and professed, quote, You can control will and behaviors of man by capturing his imagination. Earhart dominated the New Age or New Thought movement of the 70s and attracted many famous people. Some EST members were John Denver, Jeff Bridges, Ariana Huffington, owner of Huffington Post, one of the most liberal and New Age publications to date, Um, Joe Namath, Diana Ross, Yoko Ono, Jerry Stiller, Ben Stiller's father, and uh, Cher, just to name a handful. Hundreds joined and many still promote the mind conditioning seminars to the current day. Werner Erhardt was also a student of the mind control program called Mind Dynamics of uh, Alexander Everett. This was the conditioning platform that Erhardt constructed his EST techniques after. From 1971 to 1984, EST was established as a kingpin in the industry of thought management and fringe psychology through techniques of Gregory Bateson, hypnosis of Mesmer, cybernetics of Maltz, conditioning of Everett and Silva, along with many other influential elements. Erhart initiated millions of followers in a single decade, which turned out to be the most successful human potential movement and mind control program since the counterculture and Woodstock, even Esselon Institute itself. Though the program was removed, then switched to a different name in 1984, due to the death of a participant within the seminar. Aside from the figures like Hubbard, Watts, and Krishnamurti, Werner Erhard was surely one of the most prominent figures in terms of establishment-produced social mind control of the 70s, a perfect specimen in which the Macy Conferences aimed to manifest over time, and were successful in doing so. What we see today as motivational speakers, uh, positive thinking, law of attraction, uh, multi-level marketing, self-help literature, and uh, corporate team-building or group-dynamic training seminars all come directly out of the mind-conditioning work of Werner Erhard. Another very influential aspect of this New Age spirit science of the 70s was the impact of Eastern mysticism, Zen Buddhism, and Hindu teachings. Though more spiritual and less mechanical and psychological, as in Erhard's work, Eastern mysticism became a trend and encapsulating process of mind control of the time. As in EST, these mystic teachings of the East were heavily supported and promoted by celebs and entertainers, even politicians and elite establishment organizations like the United Nations. This mysticism displayed itself most significantly in the form of what was called TM, or Transcendental Meditation, an art of spiritual possession and mind control in one, packaged as an enlightening and healing experience and sold to the masses by arguably one of the most famous cult gurus in history maharishi mahesh though maharishi made his movement global in the 60s with the help of groups like uh, the beatles and the beach boys by the 70s tm became a household name boasted millions of followers worldwide and even developed university level courses as in the maharishi university of management curriculum in santa barbara california and also in Fairfield, Iowa. The overarching realities of these mind dynamics and spirit sciences is that they embody all of the age-old lies of Genesis 3, of Gnostic Godhood, and salvation through self. Moreover, the denial of God and the requirement of salvation through Christ and Christ alone. Therefore, it has always been imperative that the establishment not only perfect their sciences on controlling the mass mind and spirit, but to also produce many subgroups, cults, and gangs that reflect the same motivations and results. The goal has always been to corrupt the spirit and embellish the ego, and ultimately erase the Christian morale and gospel of our needed savior and messiah. On the surface, these cults are usually written off as merely economic schemes and money scams by clever con artists. But esoterically, they have always been about mass mind control, and subverting large populations in efforts to create neo-pagan feudalist subcultures that would assist in the facilitation of social engineering projects, and eventually resulting in a hedonistic global citizenry of serfs and cattle farm megacities. By accomplishing this, the moral standard is corrupted and society is compartmentalized into social groups that may differ in appearance or even practice, yet have the same base worldview and spiritual direction such as humanism and flesh consciousness. This worldview and spirituality will always be antichrist and always be self or in-group focused. Hence our epidemic today of selfie culture, hyper-environmentalism and pseudo-conservation, narcissism and identity politics, lust programming, essentially in-group dynamic mind control and macro conditioning. Therefore, through these subgroups and thought cults like TM, Scientology, or EST, the establishment produces a broad strata of managed perspectives and identities, formulated at the core by occult practices and esoterics, with humanist ideals. Done so through the manipulation of culture by utilizing drugs, network media, entertainment, the academic system with an invented expert class, and various influential personalities and celebrities. Possibly one of the best in-depth explanations of this operation is the SRI policy study of 1974, called Changing Images of Man. It describes this undeniable argument with striking documentation and step-by-step methodology. Anyone that would attempt to refute these findings would find it in their best interest to research these detailed studies first. The 70s posed as a prime era to produce many leaders to run countless groups that would, over time, form large populations of mind-controlled individuals that, by proxy and default, would create cultures and movements that reflected the teachings and belief systems of those leaders. Names like Alan Watts, Krishnamurti, student of Helena Blavatsky, Maharishi, Osho, Erhard, Leary, Hubbard, were all examples of these initiated leaders of the era. All of which, though differing in aesthetics, still held the same root doctrine of salvation through self, occult practices, and antichrist ideology, plus financial ties and training directly connected to elite foundations, special intelligence, and or occult secret societies. We would consider these practices in areas of 70s mind control as the light spectrum of magic, angels of light, or enlightenment. But what about the dark spectrum, the black magic and dark occult rising movement of the 70s? As much as there were gurus and yogis promising salvation through searching within and happiness through meditation or conditioning the mind, there were leaders and occultists selling the same message yet providing a much darker approach to finding its destination. And of course, media entertainment, artists and celebs, and social trauma-based mind control to accompany it. If you haven't noticed, they are programming society, especially millennials, into being liberal Marxist socialists, or right-wing patriotic nationalists, going head-to-head to to fulfill the establishment's alchemic marriage via controlled proxy wars. See, we understand politics are soap operas for social engineering. It helps shape perspective and helps make our post-reality appear real. So it is inherent that they get us all to participate, to believe, and to accept. So they manipulate our thoughts via emotion, um, controversy, and carnal desires to in turn diminish our use of logic and guarantee our allegiance to their magnum opus or great work. We are victims of mass psychology, spiritual possession, and, and the desensitization from advanced technology. So as a society, in general, we tend to suffer from an encompassing stretch of ADHD. And our reality needs to be scripted, like a movie or TV show, to keep our attention. Otherwise we would not care about politics or anything at all for that matter. They must design our reality to ensure our perspectives and actions are properly guided and controlled. We as citizens and individuals have been completely separated From all things good and true and at this point the most high God through his son Jesus Christ is the only thing that we can lean on for strength and understanding for all these things have been already written and must be fulfilled to bring forth the day of judgment and the gathering of his people as we await this day we stay faithful in anticipation strong in mind and spirit and expose the darkness as it plays out before us